Three Legs, Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with... Sean. Chris. And our special guest joining us tonight, all the way from sunny Southern California... Sean Kelly, a.k.a. Statman. Welcome back, Sean. It's been... Um, it's been a while. It's been... <laughs> yeah, I haven't had time to really understand that it's been a while, but you are right. It's been something like, uh, what, nine months yeah. think, since I've been here? I think I think it was um, round about March the last the last time you were on. Not not counting, of course, the pub quiz. Right? Yes, because we're not going to paint, count the pub quiz because I have faint to zero recollection of doing it. But <laughs> yes, this might uh, be why it didn't short, happen again. Shortly before shortly before we started recording this. Um, <laughs> yes, it has. It's been a long old while, um, and certainly a hell of a lot has happened, has it not, since the middle of March? Um, oh. One or two things. To put it mildly, yeah. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> so, how's your 2020 F1 season been? It has been a tale of survival, and I said it from from March onwards. You know, everything you had planned for 2020 is off the table. Now it's survival. That's the only thing that matters: financial survival, medical survival. We have to get through this. And make sure that we live to fight another day in 2021, professionally and from a health perspective. And luckily, uh, notwithstanding the guy swinging that sledgehammer just out of my window here right now, <laughs> as soon as we started. Um, that's it, son. Put your, put your back into it. Do we think he's going to survive? It looks like he's going to survive. I don't know about the guy he's hitting, though. Um... Yes, thankfully, I've been one of the lucky ones that I've, A, I've not contracted COVID-19, and B, I've had an appreciable amount of work to do. Um, and it was a lot of work, but I knew there's so many people who were thinking, well, what are we going to do about the, the bills, the mortgage, and so on? Yeah. Thankfully, and I had that for the first three months when we didn't have any racing at all, and um, had the FIA and F1 not being able to cobble a championship together, we would have the, the whole sport would have been in a serious financial crisis because the, we would have lost teams, we would have lost suppliers, we would have lost racetracks, uh, we would have lost uh, even the sport itself could have gone bankrupt. So it was imperative they found a way to do it, and they did. So you know this sounds a bit like I'm I'm buttering up my uh, my employers here, but I think Liberty Media, who got a lot of criticism for or F1, really, not Liberty Media, but they got a lot of criticism for the rather clumsy handling of the Australian Grand Prix. Well, they deserve a lot of credit for getting everything right ever since. Oh, yeah, it's de- it's def- it was definitely a total, total turnaround from the way things were in Australia. Because, But then again, at the time, no one in any sphere knew what the hell was going on. And every, you know, plans were being put together and cancelled on the fly and I'm not just talking about F1 I'm talking about the world in general you didn't know where you were going um, didn't know whether you were going to be going into an office one day to the next you didn't know whether you were going to have a job whether you'd be allowed to go into a shop um, you know back then in March I've just heard stack cat in the background <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes that will be the first of many appearances during the next hour I should think it's it's good that you've got the cats on tonight's show our, our two podcasts are being remarkably quiet for give for, it time for now give it time for now um that's completely derailed my train of thought but um yeah the, the situation back in March was um no nobody had 
lived through this kind of thing before. And I think we made it to the other side. Uh, right. Ju- just just by managing to put things together, so personally, professionally, in any any aspect of your life, just the way we could. And like you said before, it was, it's all been make, do, and mend. And, right. You know, Liberty have definitely, well, F1 have definitely done that. I mean, I, I, I put a tweet out at the start of the weekend saying, we didn't think we were going to have a first race this season, let alone a last one. And, yes. You know, I think I said when I was on this show in March, I think you asked me if I was if I thought it was going to be a championship, and I said no. And I I remember giving it a considerable amount of thought before I answered the question, and I couldn't see a way they could do it. Um, so the fact that they did do it really says that a I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> which is not news, and b it was a very very complicated thing to put together, but. They got it done. And that's all that matters ultimately. Like, if you've seen the whinging of certain journalists on Twitter about the lack of access that they've experienced this season, it's really not. No one gives a crap, really. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that we're still here and we're still employed because there are hundreds and hundreds of people who lost their jobs this season who worked in Formula One. Yeah, I Um, I saw saw one in particular who um, was very sore with his words about that. (laughs) <laughs> care to elaborate <laughs> I think I just did <laughs> yeah um, yeah. like you just said then Sean it was, it's a case of survival wasn't it when it, it, it's easy to forget that in the uh, f- five six months since the season started um, yes it's been intense yes I've said on this podcast in the last few weeks I'm quite looking forward to the end of the season just because it has been so intense i mean god knows what it's been like for for people like you who've had to actually work um do a full year's work in 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 you know squeeze into the space of five months yeah and i'm uh, by no means alone in that and I, and I didn't have to do any travel i didn't have to have a stick poked poked in through the back of my skull every three days i didn't have to isolate in a hotel you know go all these distances and then be told you can't leave the hotel that's it. You know, yeah. I haven't had any of that. Um, of course, I've been largely confined to the house. There's not been a lot that we could do in the world. But at least I was in my regular confines. I didn't have to, you know, mess around at airports and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been intense. But I, I don't offer this as I don't offer this as a means of sympathy. It was intense because I was one of the lucky few who had a work schedule to get through. And it, it did start to nag me a little bit when I'd hear people complaining or read, I guess, more accurately, read people complaining on Twitter about, we can't do this, we can't do this, you know, like, and, and no one ultimately cares because it's like, look, we're sitting at home here wondering how to pay the bills. You're whinging on that you can't get a bloody, you can't get your caviar in the hotel here. Shut the up. No. <laughs> How long ago does Walmart seem now? Because of the last time you were on, you was your was your day of your interview at Walmart. Of course, you worked there until you knew the season was starting. It seems. I mean, it seems like um another world because at that moment 
I, I genuinely thought when I when I went to start to work at Walmart at end of March and I stayed there until June the 19th. June the 19th, I think, was my last day. And the reason I left was because I knew there was this forthcoming avalanche of work because we were going to be doing nine weekends out of the next 11, F1, F2 and F3 every weekend. And normally it's every two, you normally have every two weeks between those, those events. And I yeah. suddenly you're going to pile all this in all at once. Like I, I, I'm going to have to take a month here. We're going to have no income because of course it takes time for invoices to get paid and so on. I'm just going to have to deal with it because there's going to be no time to carry on with this job as easy as it is. But it was, again, when I was at Walmart, I, I always kept the attitude of, hey, you know what? It could be worse. I could have no job at all. I could be sitting at home thinking we're going to go bankrupt. This is not paying the bills necessarily, but it is slowing them down. It is, does mean that whenever really meaningful pay arrives again, I will have fewer debts to pay off. So <laughs> look yeah. at it that way. And also, yeah, you know, I thought to myself, I, I drive into work and the, and the roads would be empty. There'd be nobody on the freeway here. And I would think to myself, wow, I'm going somewhere when everyone else has been told to stay at home. I get a modicum of interaction with other people. The store was closed overnight, but obviously there was the, the crew that worked on the yeah. uh, on the section. Um, and I was getting some money coming into the bank. Not a lot, but, you know, something. So you always looked at it from the perspective of, hey, well, look, look what I've got that everybody else is thinking we don't have that right now. And it's, di it's different. It would be it would have been a quite different experience if I'd gone to work at Walmart after Formula One had said, you will never work in this town again. You know, let's say we never want to see you again. You're banned for life. It, it'd be different if Formula One was carrying on in, in absentia. That would be a quite different emotional thing. When you know that, OK, none of us have got a job right now. You know, McLaren are laying off hundreds of people. Um, it's just like, OK, this is this is this is the the job on the yacht in Abu Dhabi right now. This is the equivalent of it. So yeah. suck it up. So that, that emotionally makes it easier to deal with. And I tried to sort of have a bit of fun with it and think, hey, yeah, Formula One guy ends up at Walmart. All right, let's have some fun with this on Twitter. Let's see what we can do with it. Um, so yeah, I sort of chronicled it to pass the time. Um, and it was actually all right. I mean, I, I, I like my coworkers and everything and I still keep in touch with some of them. Um, just because I don't want them, I don't want them to think that, like, uh, that I'd become like hoity-toity. They didn't know I had another job. They thought I was just some dude who just applied for Walmart. You know, um, it was only when I said I was leaving that they found out I had a whole different career. They had no idea that that was a thing. Um, and I said, "Yeah." So the thing is, guys, and uh, hear me out on this. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine how that conversation went? Um, so, yeah, they didn't know about that because I, I didn't want them to think I was going to be like a bad worker. You know, I, yeah, like, yeah, oh, well, I, oh, Sean over there reckons he's better than the rest of us. Um, so I didn't want to be like that. So, uh, yeah, it was it, it was good times. I, I, I said the money wasn't very good, but it was in the grand scheme of things. I was extraordinarily lucky. And absolutely. I think that that's the, the the attitude that would get us through 2020 is be grateful for what you have. Don't commiserate for what you don't have right now because it's not the time to the, you know it's not the wartime mentality just you know appreciate what you have we'll think about moving up in the world in 2021 and beyond yeah and you went in back into work and then all the uh all the uh stats obviously for for this season um totally different calendar 
um, and then race wins, world championships, etc. You know, the, the entire stat rulebook, I suppose, got ripped up and, and, and written again by everyone who, who managed to take part in this year's F1 season. It's, it's a season now that whenever a Formula One's history is compiled hereafter, there will always be this caveat of, well, apart from the 2020 season, dot, dot, dot. It will always be that. You know, apart, well, this is the first time this has ever happened, apart from the coronavirus hit 2020 season. Um, yeah. You know, like, for instance, um, it's, it's, this is the first time we've had two races at the same racetrack in F1 history, apart from the coronavirus 2020 season, or, you know, that sort of thing. There's, there's lots yeah. of examples of that. Um, so, yeah, there'll be a lot of that. And it, it, it's a very odd season from a competitive standpoint, because we had diversity on the podium you know 13 different drivers on the podium but yet the season was utterly dominated by one driver and we had two constructors won a grand prix that never won before and yet one driver won the championship by over 100 points it, it there's this weird dichotomy there that on the one hand it looked tremendously competitive and on the other hand it looked an absolute blowout it, it, it was like uh, like one of those uh, holograms you know you look at it from one side and it's this and you look at it the other side it's that um, I, I can't recall a season that's been like that, where you've had, you know, basically Mercedes were in a league of their own, and then you had Verstappen, and then there was everybody else. And everybody else was separated by such minuscule margins. You know, one week it'd be a racing point that would be the third best team, then it'd be a McLaren, then it'd be a Renault, and then sometimes it was even a Ferrari. Um, yeah. And that was tremendous. Ca you know, we had this tremendous now. battle. Not, not all that often. Well, it, <laughs> no, it didn't happen that often, but it did. You know, Ferrari, well, more accurately, Charles Leclerc would get in amongst them um, because Vettel went right off the boil this year, unfortunately. Um, but it was a tremendously competitive season whenever... Well, basically, if Hamilton was on the track, he was winning. And if Hamilton hit trouble, it was up for grabs, like it was anybody's race. So it was... Um, it, there was fun to be had. We had some fantastic races. Turkey was a fantastic race. It was. Really a magnificent race from start to finish. Um, no safety car, no artificial, um, you know, intervention. And, you know, rain's not artificial, obviously. Um, it was just a brilliant race. Um, Sakir was a great race just because of it was bonkers. It was like not seen this sort of thing before. Lap time under a minute. Rookie leads the race. Um, not rookie, but, you know, Mercedes new boy. Uh, and then guy who can never win a race finally wins a race. And then gets fired, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, there was there was some tremendous, um, uh, there was some great memories from this season. I have to say, um, so yeah, it was. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly remember it for a long time, won't we? Twenty twenty, yeah. one way or another. <laughs> We've got to be able to get good memories out of this year, just to uh, just to keep us keep us sane, effectively. What was what was the most surprising stat from you then? If you were looking at some a, a figure from this year at the start of the year, you think no, that's rubbish. That's never going to happen. From the start of the year, like what what was it? Do you mean like what was the biggest surprise relative to yeah, what you expected? Yeah, what what yeah? If 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 at the start of twenty twenty you looked at a stat that is from this season and you thought, no, what the hell's happened there? Why has that happened? What would what's the um, biggest surprise? I think the biggest surprise to me was Ferrari didn't lead a lap. For, and that hasn't happened. That's only happened three times in history. Um, 1973 and 1992 were the only other occurrences that's ever happened. And I never would have thought to myself, especially after the first race when Leclerc was second. Yeah. That, like, Ferrari didn't lead a lap. That is really. crazy. 
That's the, t- the team that's been pushing Mercedes for the world championship these past few years. They didn't lead a lap. Wow. Um, going into the last race, going into the race yesterday, Lance Stroll had led more laps this season than Max Verstappen. Christ. So that, that again would have been like, what? I'm sorry. But, but, but the Red Bull is second in the Constructors' Championship. And you're telling me that Lance Stroll's led more laps than Verstappen. How is that possible? Uh, of course, that's not true now because Verstappen blew it out yesterday. But um, yeah, there, there's there was there's several instances of that. Um, the there was only there was only one race all year. You'll like this one. There's only one race all year that had more than three different leaders in in the race, and that was the Turkish Grand Prix. And there were in that race there were four different leaders in consecutive laps. That is. Nuts. They had more. They had more <laughs> leaders in that race in four laps than in any other race in the 2020 season. So there was these weirdness, there's this weird stuff happening all the way around. Turkey was also the site where we saw there was no Ferrari, uh, no Ferrari, no McLaren, no Williams in the top 10. That hadn't happened since Kyle Army 1967. Um, wow. Which astonished me. I, I, I had to, I actually held back on it because I, I went to my friends at Forex and said, can you run this search for me? Because my answer is this, and this is, this is faintly unbelievable to me and I want to check it's right. Um, and they ran it and said, yep, same answer, Kyle Army 67. I was like, wow, okay, I can't believe that. Um, so there, was, there's, there, there are many examples of that, which makes this, it's this, this season was unique for more than just the coronavirus. There was also competitive reasons why it was so weird. Yeah, the George Russell leading, uh, leading laps um, during the Sakia Grand Prix. At one point, he became was it the third? I think Verstappen would have overtaken him after yesterday's race, but it was yeah. the, the, the third most leading uh, leading driver of laps, um, right? Just for one Grand Prix, right? And, for, and Mercedes became the first team since 1961 to lock out front rows in different races with three drivers, because they'd had Hamilton Bottas lockouts and then they had a Russell Bottas lockout, and Ferrari yeah. did that in '61 when they ran more than two cars. But it hadn't happened. No other team had done it since. There, there's countless examples. You know, there's, there's so many examples in this season where you think that's weird or anomalous. Um, in a way, in a way, it reminds me of my first season in 2003. I came in at just the right time in, in 03 after Schumacher had just completely steamrolled at 01 and 02. Yeah. And in 03, he was the champion, but it went down to the last race and. You know, there was uh, that was the, that was the breakout year for Alonso and Raikkonen, and um, and you know you could even argue Button had a bit of a breakout year that year. Um, and I came in at just the right time as a stats guy, and suddenly it looked like wow, we've got all these wonderful stats that we never had before. When in reality, it was just well, that's what happened. I mean, I could have come in in '02 and said, well, Schumacher wins again. That's it. Uh, Schumacher wins another one, and Schumacher wins another one. <laughs> I just came in at just the right time, and and 2020 um, was a similar sort of year whereby, you know, it wasn't me coming up with something that I hadn't thought of before. It was just, wow, just so many weird and wonderful things happen on the racetrack that um, it, I almost lose track of, of, of everything we, we had. You know, we had the idea of two races on the same, at the same venue, which is, could, could not have happened in any other year because of the way Formula One's business model works. It, it, just, it just would not be feasible. Yeah. Um, so that might be the only time that happens in you know, for the next 50 years or so. Who knows? Hopefully. Hope we don't have another pandemic uh, <laughs> that causes it to happen. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, I was um, just going to say I did enjoy you trying to explain on Twitter how Max Verstappen was the uh, uh, the only winner of a, of a Grand Prix that can never happen again with the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, <laughs> and lots of people replying to you with with Grand Prix that they thought could never happen again. It's just like, yeah, but it's possible that we could have another Styrian Grand Prix. It's possible right. that, we might, that we might again revisit you know turkey or we, we could might, use, yeah we could reuse those names those places yeah, still exist exactly but they'll never be another 70th anniversary grand prix the only winner of that grand prix ever is always going to be max verstappen nobody can ever take that away from him he's the only winner right. of it unless really formula one should have been more um forward thinking and called it just the anniversary grand prix because then we could have celebrated anniversaries of anything um but by calling it the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, they've kind of, you know, they've, they've nailed it to the post there. We can't, can't have another one. No. I don't know. <clears throat> they could set the status quo way out and they always manage to find a 50th anniversary of something. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we could celebrate the 70th anniversary of status quo. I think, they've, I think they've already had five, haven't they? <laughs> Right, so why don't we have a Grand Prix to celebrate status quo? Seventieth anniversary of the seventieth anniversary. Oh, that ah. that would do it. There you go. <laughs> Max Verstappen yep. might still be. Uh, might You'll still be, be racing. You'll still yeah. be racing then. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we take a look back at uh, this weekend's race? Because contrary to popular, do we have to? Contrary to popular belief, there was one. Well, there was something happened. <laughs> there there was an event. Call it a race. <laughs> Well, I want to um, um, sort of preface discussion of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix by saying, as someone who normally goes to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, it is a venue second to none. It is an extraordinary place to go and watch a Grand Prix. And if if anyone's listening to this deliberating over going to a flyaway Grand Prix in 2021, I highly recommend the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. It is fantastic to go to. Yeah. Terrible race. <laughs> Terrible racetrack. It has always been arguably the worst purpose-built Formula 1 ever constructed. And I say that through gritted teeth because I love the venue. But the fact is, every time I've been there, the race starts, people watch for the first two or three laps, and then they just go back to their yacht parties. It's like, okay, well, whoever's in, who's, who's leading? Well, they're probably going to win. All right, I've done all my Instagram stories and I've taken selfies. Now let's go and get a drink. Um, and then it's just the rest of the, you know, the next hour and a half, there's just the droning of the engines in the background, you know, while people are enjoying the parties and it, going on. Um, so in that, in, in that right, it, it is a fantastic event and I, and I, it fully deserves to be on the calendar, but they do need to change the layout because it is really, it's doing a disservice to that race. They really, if you think about Turkey, for instance, I know Turkey was a wet race, but, um, you know, think about if if they had those sorts of races in Abu Dhabi, people would say this. Oh, Abu Dhabi, I love Abu Dhabi. But if you've not been to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, I totally get why you would say, "What a waste of time! What a stupid place to end the season! This is awful." Because it really is as a television event. Unfortunately, um, once you get past the shiny stuff, it, it they need to they need to modify the racetrack and make it a easier to race. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I said that um, when I was talking to somebody last night. Said just just tear the place down and start it again from the beginning, because well, knowing the UAE, they have that kind of money to do it. But <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I I hope they don't, um, 
because a lot of you know I do, as I said I do love the venue it's just the layout that's that's flawed is it one of those um, ones with like Bahrain though where it's got about a million different configurations there are multiple stunning. configurations yeah um, they need, maybe they need but, to try and find the Sakia version well uh, unfortunately that would cut out half the racetrack no. you know so you, you get you know you're gonna lose one of the one of the um, the kitschy elements of Yas Marina, of course, is it's a, it is a real marina, and you can get all those yachts piled in. So you're going to need to use that part of the racetrack where the where the yachts are. Um, they need to do something about the bits that interconnect those two those sections. Um, and I, I don't know what I don't know what the, I mean, I'm not a track designer. I don't know what to suggest, but um, it, it clearly needs to be, there needs to be something changed about it. Yeah, you're saying about how they. Uh... In the Middle East, uh, specifically, how they're, they're not afraid to tear things down and rebuild them. Some years ago, I flew through Doha Airport. They just finished one airport, and then they announced that they were building another one. And the next time I went through it, about eighteen months later, the new airport had been built. It was finished. It was done. It was. I was like, oh, okay. So they just finished one airport. Now they just built the other one within the space of eighteen months. So they can do it with airports. Okay, granted <laughs> that's Qatar. Uh, they, then I'm sure Abu Dhabi can do it with the racetrack. Well, it's, you know, there's a lot of money in oil, isn't there? And, oh, yes. Um, I, I've often remarked to people, bearing in mind I live, of course, I was born in England and I live in America. Um, I've often said you can see um, where, where the money was in the 19th century, go to the United Kingdom. If you want to see where the money was in the 20th century, go to the United States. If you want to see where the money is in the 21st century, go to the Middle East. Because you can't help be wowed by what they have in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and... And, and Qatar, like you mentioned, and um, you're just like, whoa, okay, so this is obviously where the new world order is centred. Yeah. It's good to be able to use the term new world order on one of these shows without Lee chiming in about what he thinks the new world order is. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it without... Or, or, play, or, or playing a record by new order. <laughs> we, can, we can do it without the Illuminati tonight. Um, so, yes, on to um, yesterday's cure for insomnia. Um, start at the back... Haas. Uh, K. Mag's last race, 18th. He said he was going to give it everything, but I don't think there was a great deal that he could have given. No, I don't think so. Many. No, I mean, there's not a lot to give for Haas. It was a 100th Grand Prix, um, and that's really the only thing that was makes it particularly notable to them. Um, it's sad that Grosjean couldn't couldn't finish couldn't finish the season out. Um, uh, you know, obviously. Phew, mightily relieved he got out of that accident because that was extraordinary but um, yeah he would have been there for all 100 races had he seen the season out uh, because he was there for the first race yeah but um, it was nice it was nice I thought that Pietro Fittipaldi was involved in Bahrain in in Abu Dhabi because it was Emerson Fittipaldi's birthday so the first grandson of a Grand Prix driver was racing on the weekend when his grandfather two-time world champion was celebrating his birthday which is kind of a nice way to end things. Um, I when I was I was hosting for Virtual Palette Club over the weekend, and I gave myself the assignment of finding things to say about all ten constructors that were positive. And yeah. Haas Haas was the most difficult. You would have thought it'd be Williams because they were below Williams were bottom of the championship. I found good things there because Russell put in some fantastic qualifying performances, particularly the Styrian Grand Prix, but he almost got to Q three. Um, Haas was the most difficult one. The high point was in Hungary when they pitted at the end of the formation lap for slick tyres and they ended up running third and fourth in the race, um, which sounds balmy 
You think of Haas in 2020. Would they really run third and fourth in a Grand Prix? Well, yes, they did. Um, yeah, but it was a season to forget. And, and now and now they've got, of course, uh, Nikita Mazepin, who will be, uh, no doubt, absolutely fantastic and a PR bonanza for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think about the highlight Just... of the weekend for me for Haas was that they managed to run in one session a Schumacher and a Fittipaldi. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. Um, those are good names to have, but um, they, they it got them this far. <laughs> but now, now, now they're going to get found out. Like, yeah, and, and Mick Schumacher were the F two champion, never qualified on the front row. So to me, he 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 was better than I thought he was. But forgive me if I don't compare him with Michael Schumacher just yet, because no. I don't have I don't have he didn't he only won I think he only won twice this season in F two, so he was consistent if not utterly spectacular. And I don't really look for consistency in an F2 driver. I look for the ones who are obviously prodigiously talented because that's the hardest thing to find. You can find plenty of F2 drivers or GP2 drivers that were consistent, you know, like Jolly and Palmer, uh, Davide Valsecchi. Um, uh, and they, you know, they didn't really have an F1 career of note. Valsecchi didn't have an F1 career at all. No. But... No. You think of Lewis Hamilton, who came in and won it the first attempt. Uh, Rosberg winning the inaugural title. Uh, dare I say it, even Nico Hülkenberg came in, won it the first attempt, and you knew, okay, this guy's a real deal. Um, Leclerc, the same. Um, Russell, the same. Yeah. You, you look for people who come, breeze straight in and just batter it, and you're just like, whoa, okay, this guy's really good. Better stick him in an F1 car. I don't look for the guys who have spent multiple seasons in the category because uh, that that gives me cause to doubt that they can actually wow us in a Formula One car. Even Stoffel Van Dorn had that. I thought Van Dorn was Van Dorn was a two season F two guy, GP two guy, um, and he was the best. You know, I, we thought well he should have won the championship in the first season, but he didn't. Second season he absolutely thrashed everybody, but then he came to F one. He was underwhelming. So. Yeah. We'll see what we get with Schumacher. He might be he might be a little bit more Bruno Senna than Ayrton Senna. We'll see. A question <laughs> I, I promise that I, I would ask you next time I spoke to you, Sean, and I think I, I tweeted it to you at the time as well. Does Pietro Fittipaldi count as the as the as the first third generation driver? Because is it is it Uncle Christian? Is it his uncle Christian and obviously his granddad Emerson? So is is that the first third, even though it's not a linear generation, as in like father grandfather? Is it does that still count as like a third generation driver? Is he the first one to do that? Well, I believe he's the first grandson of a Grand Prix driver to race in F one. I think, um, unless you know better, <laughs> no, <laughs> unless, no, you're up, no. unless you're updating me as I'm as I'm sitting here. <laughs> um, no, no, not at all. I just didn't know if it had been being done before. You know, if there was like you know, uh, uncle or you know, auntie by marriage, etc. Um, uh, where somebody, uh, somebody else had make him made the, it as third generation. Makes him the first grand nephew as well, because I think Wilson's his great uncle. Wilson, yeah, Wilson Max, was Max Pappas is his uncle. uncle. Yeah, he's yep. a fifth member. He's a fifth member of the family to race in F one. Which is some going, um, you know. Even even if you got all the money in the world, it's still some going to get five members of your family as F one drivers. Even NASCAR uh, don't manage that. And and they also had a constructor, so you put that in as well. So they've had five members of the family and a constructor. That's that's pretty impressive. There is, is. there is an is. Emerson child on the Sauber Junior program as well, so there might be another one. 
Uh, what are you talking about, Enzo? No, um, I think it is actually Emerson Jr. who is surprisingly oh, is not the oldest of the Emerson children, even though he's called Emerson. I think he's about right. 13, though. I think we're a while off yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, he, he was the one in the um, Sauber Jr. photo. Looks like a all, child, but has lots of sponsors. All the sponsors. Yes, that's the one. Well, good for them. I mean, <laughs> all, all joking aside, all joking aside, this is a serious thing. Emerson had financial problems, so he's not awash with cash in, say, like the family Mazepin, for instance, or, mm. the, or Lawrence Stroll. You know, so it's um, a little bit more, a little bit more of an acquired taste um, than it would be for a lot of other um, uh, rich families in the sport. So. Yeah, good for them. He didn't embarrass himself, did he, Pietro Fittipaldi? He put in a good, mm. a good turn. Um, he was not that far away from Magnus in qualifying. I think he was only a tenth off um, in qualifying. And you know, to finish a, a place behind on a racetrack where you know, let's be honest, racing is difficult. Um, it's 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 a pretty good performance from Pietro Fittipaldi. Yeah, I, I, it's not, not. It was not the the blockbuster performance of George Russell. It, it's Sakir. But I wasn't expecting that because, as I alluded to before, um, Russell's one of those talents that you really look for and you think, okay, this guy's a top prospect. I haven't seen that about Pietro Fittipaldi just yet, but he did what he was supposed to do. Bring the car around, bring it back to the garage in one piece and don't disgrace yourself because that's what the next guy is going to be doing next year. (laughs) (laughs) Started early to avoid the rush. Yes, indeed. Moving swiftly on. Um, Williams next. George Russell in 15th, Nicholas Latifi in 17th. Um, George Russell has... I think he's been my driver of the season this year. He's got that Williams into places it shouldn't do. Like you two. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mr. Saturday, as they call him on the TV. Mr. Saturday, yeah. (laughs) It's a shame. That was the first pointless season in the history of Williams Grand Prix Engineering. And it pains me to say that because Williams have always been my team historically, but that was the first time they drew a zero. And it's a shame, but also, you know, new management's on the way and hopefully onward and upward in the future. It was a shame for George Russell that he didn't get another go in that Mercedes. And I have to say, I got a few, more than a few messages from Sight over the weekend in the Asma Arena from people who said, yeah, we were kind of hoping he was going to be in the car as well. Um, just not not anything. It's not, it's not anti Lewis Hamilton at all. It's just more like, look, Hamilton's already got this thing bought and paid for. It's in the bag. He's already won the championship. He doesn't even need to bother with this. Let's just stick George in there for fun because it was you know it changes as good as a rest, as they say. Yeah. And Russell, seeing Russell lead the race so convincingly in Sakir, you just thought, wow, this is sensational. And I know there are people who say, well, it's the car. Well, all right, we'll tell that to Botas. Where's he? He's eight seconds behind. He's been driving the car all season. It's not the car for him, is it? No, exactly. So, yeah, Russell must have been a bit of a downer. And I, and I, once I am, I'm always so impressed by his attitude. It, his, his speed is one thing. His attitude is also fantastic. Because he, he didn't... All the two years he's been at Williams, I've never once heard him criticise the team. I've never heard him say, well, you know, you guys, you've, you've, you've messed this up. You've put me on the wrong tyre. You've... You know, you, you, you can't, you're not capable of coming up with a decent car, whatever. You know, I've never heard him say that. It's always been, okay, well, we're going to, you know, make some changes and see if we can move up the order, you know, but we, we, blah, blah, blah. It's always, it'd always be, what can we do to make it better? And yeah, again, 
Uh, yeah, and, and again, this weekend, I never heard him once say anything that even implied that he was thinking to himself, why do I have to drive this car? Last week, I had the, the best car in the world. Now I'm back to this old banger. I never heard him say anything that even hinted at that because that's not, it's not a professional attitude, is it? And he didn't, and he didn't even, I didn't even see him so much as, as um, uh, what's the word? Um, like, I didn't see him with an unpleasant look on his face. You know, I didn't see him grousing or, or giving away anything in his body language that he was sort of annoyed that has, has to drive the Williams. So that's, I mentioned the Mick Schumacher thing before and everything. You know, those are all the, the, the key things I look for in a young driver. And that's why I think George Russell's the real deal, because he's not only the fastest, incredibly fast driver, but he is also has that attitude that is, we, we, we will go forwards. And that's yeah. why Mercedes should have him in the car. Not to say that Botas isn't like that, but to me, to me, the, the the debate. Sorry, I've, I've, this is one long meandering sentence, and I do apologise for not letting <laughs> no, anybody no, else no, in. No, no. Keep, keep, keep but, going. But, this is why we have you. But to me, to me, the Botas experiment is concluded. Um, yeah. He has been comprehensively thrashed by Hamilton in every season that he's been his teammate, and he has never. And I don't mean that, like, like Rosberg, for instance. People may say Rosberg rode his luck to that championship in 2016. But there was no getting away from the fact that there were times where Rosberg gave Hamilton a very hard time indeed. Like he was inconveniently fast for him. I've never got that impression with Botas. There's been, there's been occasional flashes, um, but it's never turned into anything particularly consistent. More often than not, Hamilton's off into the sunset and Botas is trailing along behind him. And, and to me, that it's, it was shown this year because of the absence of Ferrari at the front. It was hidden in previous seasons because we had Leclerc and Vettel in the mix. We took them out this season and we just left with a private battle for the championship between the two Mercedes drivers and one Mercedes driver was miles ahead. He won the championship by over 100 points without having, without even doing all the races. I mean, that's astonishing. And to me, it's like, okay, thanks very much, Valtteri. It's been a good few seasons yeah. driving, the, driving the best car that Formula One has ever seen. Now we want to put someone else in the car. Then we would have a championship. Imagine Hamilton and Russell. That'd be pretty sweet. It will be it will be good to see a championship that's getting fought for between two drivers, even if they are from the same team. You know, it wouldn't even be that oh Mercedes are just turning up and winning everything. It's going to be which one of them takes it this week. And yeah, and I would say I would say actually by the way, if if Bernie was still running F one, Russell would be in that car next year, I reckon, because Bernie would go into Mercedes and say, right, you're taking Valtteri out, we're putting George in next year. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> Because Bernie, being the ultimate wheeler dealer, could see the you see the money you could see the money on the table. Like, can you imagine civil war erupts at Mercedes? Comfortable Lewis is suddenly challenged by the young upstart, and suddenly the British media goes ballistic because you've got two British drivers fighting for the title, and the young British kid, and and the and the statistically the most successful driver in the history of the sport go toe to toe. Yeah, it'd be box office because even if you had the same two cars up at the front every week, you wouldn't know which one was going to win. It would be like it would be like the Prost Senna era. We knew always knew we every every race we did in '88, we knew McLaren were going to win it, but it was just by how much. But we didn't know which McLaren was going to win it. And I think I think that's what we need now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Go back to Williams, though. Do you not yes, think- back to Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think Nicholas Latifi has had a fairly, uh, fairly solid um, first season in Formula One? 
again, if you look at like his past, going back to what you were saying about Formula Two drivers, Sean, it's that he was somebody who didn't really set the world alight instantly, uh, and he's been, but he's been in the wings, like waiting in the wings of a, for a Formula One seat for ages, and this was finally his chance. And okay, yeah, he's um, been totally out qualified by uh, a driver who we all regard as being very special, um, but you know, he's he's not been. Yeah, he he's been fighting where the car has allowed him to. He's not been miles and miles off the pace, you know, sort of five laps down at the end of each race. Yeah, I I think the word you're looking for is competent. He's mm. been competent in that car. Yeah, that um, will do. and he looks like he looks every bit like a driver who spent six seasons in Formula Two. He made his debut in Formula Two as GP two in 2014 at Yas Marina, and he was there every year thereafter. So after you spent that long, more than half a decade at that level, you're going to be competent enough to take on an F1 car, you know, given the fact that he was a race winner in F2 and so on. But referring you back to my earlier remarks, he didn't set the world alight right out of the box. No. And he, 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 he was one of those guys who climbed the mountain slowly. Over the, over the course of several years, he learned how to be a winner in that category. Um, Nigel Mansell calls them pot hunters because they're, they hang around a category long enough until they win it. Um, so you could say it's a bit disparaging to call Nicholas Latifi a pot hunter, but um, his, 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 that is the sort of driver to which Nigel is referring when he says that. Um, but he, did, yeah, he didn't do anything particularly bad. You know, he didn't smash up cars all season or anything like that. It was just like uh, tail end obscurity, really. I think if you um, I think if you asked me in like a month what was Nicholas Latifi's 2020 like I probably won't remember that much. No. I could tell you that he finished 11th a couple of times and reached Q2 in Hungary and that's all I got. <laughs> the highlight reel. Um, <laughs> and that's on that's after all, one yeah. day. That's one day after the end of the season. <laughs> now admittedly admittedly he was in the worst car on the grid mm-hmm. and he was up against a driver that by general consensus should be in the front of the grid car. And in fact, you know, we now have evidence to, to, to prove that. So what really was expected of him? Well, it was just kind of air. Eh. I think if anything, you could say it was one of those seasons where you could say, hey, I was a Grand Prix driver. Is that, you yeah. know, he's like, um, <laughs> in a way, he was like the, the obscurity of, um, let's see, Hideki Noda or so Franco Farini. Uh, Sergei Sorokin, yeah. Although Sor- you know Sorokin again, a race winner in in that category. Um, you know, there's plenty of drivers down down the years who were in F1 who you don't remember was in F1, but they were in F1, so they're always <laughs> an F1 driver. So you know, Hugh Rothengatter, always an F1 driver. You know, and and so on. Basically, what we're saying is, in five years' time, Latifi will be a total shunt. He may well be. Um, <laughs> I know I, I don't. I haven't seen any reason yet to promote him up the ranks. You know, no. you can say with you can say with Russell, the evidence is there. You know, Russell has been consistently over not not overdriving the car, but overperforming what the car is capable of doing. And finally, he got that big shot in Sakia, and he didn't let us down. You know, he showed us what he was really capable of doing. I, I wouldn't have ever have expected Latifi to to ever get close to that kind of performance, um, because when they're matched up as teammates, Russell just trounces him so which was the case in 2018 russell rolled into f2 in 2018 absolutely thrashed thrashed what latifi could do and got in you know away he went mm. so it's not it's no different to 
their previous careers. Uh, right, where are we next? Alfa Romeo, you got next on the list, Chris. Um, Giovinazzi, the biggest conundrum of the season. Is he doing enough to actually keep his seat? Because it's Ferrari that's put him there. I was confused by this because <laughs> I, on TV yesterday, I heard the commentators, Crofty and Brundle, say that Giovinazzi has had a solid season. I was also surprised by that. Whereas, you know... I was surprised to see that he'd been signed up for 2021 when that was announced earlier in the year. And, um, you know, Kimi Raikkonen to be retained, okay, fine, fair enough. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen's going to be there until... You know, Kimi Raikkonen might outlive Formula One yet, who knows. <laughs> um, but it's I, very strange for me that, that, that Giovinazzi appears to be held in high regard by the people who travel with Formula One when looking at it from the outside, he doesn't appear to be very competitive. Mm. I, I, just, I don't understand why he has that seat and not a Calamila or a Robert Schwartzman. It's very bizarre. Well, allow me to enter evidence into the courtroom here. No, um, that's not what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> Giovinazzi outqualified Raikkonen over the season. 9-8. Mm-hmm. So, if you think Giovinazzi shouldn't be in the seat, then Kimi shouldn't be in the seat. Um... I think maybe a lot of it is being influenced by Ferrari, as you alluded to. Um, Raikkonen is a bankable asset. You know, if you put Callum Islet in that car, you're not going to draw the interest that Kimi does, just because he's Kimi. Yeah. Um, and Giovinazzi, yeah, it might be a little favor, a little Italian favor being paid there. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's a bit eh, isn't it? It's a, in, in a way, it's on brand for Cyber. It's just, <laughs> it's 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 just gonna eh, sort of it never really rocks the boat. You know, they never really do anything that's controversial or anything like that. They just go along with their Swissness and um, and they're just always there. I mean, I mean, good luck to them. I did a I did a piece for Paddock Club uh, in Turkey when they got to 500 championship races. About I, I listed on the screen um, all of the teams that had gone out of business since Cyber started in Formula One. Oh yeah, um, loads. And, uh, yeah, and Cyber are still here, so you know they're 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 doing something right, but yeah, they're not they're not they they almost exist just to put two cars on the grid, as opposed to they exist to to win the championship. Well, we spent the th- first three seasons of this podcast calling them anonymous Sauber, given the full name, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in a way, they are that. It wasn't a very good car this year. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the- certainly true. What was the positive thing that you said in the Paddock Club about uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber for this season? Well, it was about Kimi. It was about Kimi's longevity. I said um, he take, he took three longevity records that belonged to three different drivers. He took the most starts from Barrichello, the most laps completed from Schumacher, and the most distance completed from Alonso. So he, he united the belts. He's now the undisputed champion of just keeps on goingness. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really weird, the, the, the stat that came out, and I think it may have been you again that posted this on Twitter, that his second stint is now longer, or will be uh, for in 2021. His second stint in Formula One is going to be longer than his first. That's not mine, but it is a good one if it's true. Um, because he came back in 2012. Uh, where would he be up to? It'd be nine years. Uh, yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah, that's right. No, I thought, I thought... In, terms, in terms of races raced, I think he will do more races in his uh, in his second stint. Well, yes, absolutely, because we have longer championships now. Yeah, yeah. I thought the positive for Alfa Romeo this season was we didn't have as many wet races, so they didn't rust as much. 
How's, how's the car doing? <laughs> how's the car doing, Chris? Yeah, it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a good car. Not a good car from from Cyber slash Alpha this year. Um, oh, the one other good point. The one other good point was that they competed in the 70th anniversary race, so they're the only constructor that competed in the 70th anniversary race at Silverstone, who were also in the British Grand Prix of 1950. Take that, Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, th- they can take it now because they're next on the list. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Now that's For- that's the end of the season that we expected from them. Yes, the worst Ferrari season for 40 years. Finishing sixth in the Constructors' Championship, the worst showing from the team since 1980. That was the year that Jody Schechter failed to qualify as the world champion at the Canadian Grand Prix. Wow. Um, and Gilles Villeneuve qualified 22nd on the grid on pace. Um, yeah, that was the year before they went turbo the first time. It was truly... Oh, terrible. And as I said before, they didn't lead a lap all season. That's only the third time in the history of the World Championship that Ferrari haven't led a lap in a season. The others was 1973 and 1992. Both Anus Haribolises for Scuderia Ferrari. And this is another one. Um, despite the best efforts of Charles Leclerc, who I have to say has been one of the standouts of the season for me for driving that bag of crap around the racetrack. <laughs> um, yeah, that qualifying lap in Sakir from Charles Leclerc where he, he put that car, I think he put it like third or something at the time and just... The, the, the real story was he didn't have any tyres left, but it did look like he just sort of came into the pits and went, well, that's the best that car's doing. I won't bother going <laughs> yep. out. There he was with a cigarette and a cup of coffee in the back of the garage saying, you're welcome to have a go yourselves, lads, but that's the best yep. I've got. <laughs> yep, that's it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, just, yeah. it's just been all the cards have completely fallen out of alignment for Ferrari this season. The car's terrible. Vettel either couldn't drive it or was phoning it in because he knew he was going, what were they going to do, sack him. And yes, all the squabbling behind the scenes. Yeah, and well, that's that. That's all. That's all in a day's work at Ferrari. Well, this is true behind the this scenes is stuff. True. Yeah, and then end of the season, you know, the um, chief exec retires suddenly. Um, is Benotto there? Is Benotto not there? Is Benotto going? I mean, that, all right, that's again, that's standard Ferrari mm-hmm. politicking. But it was just, you know, if if anything, if anything more horrendous could have happened to Ferrari. I haven't got a clue what it is. I mean, when, don't when worry, they, they'll find they'll find a way. Don't worry. Say, when, when they screw up, they they screw up. Can't wait for their drive to survive episode next year. Yes, I'm just, I'm, but I'm waiting for the uh, for the car launch for 2021. When it's just like, well, I know we're doing the most radical redesign for 2021 that we're allowed. We've brought back the double chassis. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, of course they had the twin floor car in 1992, and that was a that was a big success, leading zero laps as it did. <laughs> exactly, um, yeah. terrible idea. But um, it, there are some there are some signs that that this won't be an ongoing thing for Ferrari, because this is the third time they failed to win a race in the hybrid era. They didn't win a race in 14. They didn't win a race in 16. And in both instances, they came out of the gates early the next season and won races and looked like a title threat. So there is at least that to lean on, which is, historically speaking, Ferrari don't tend to make a habit of consecutive bad seasons. At least not since, not, not, not from the Jean Tote era onwards. It, it tended to be a case of, okay, if we have a crap season, we come straight back. In 05, they had a bad season. They only won the race at Indianapolis, of course, when there's only six cars. But in 06, they almost won the championship. So, yeah, it's, um, 
let's uh, give them some room there because they do have a habit um, of coming back from these bad seasons. It'll be more difficult, of course, in 2021 with the, the, the freeze on things that can be changed and, and so forth. But, uh, you know, let's not be uh, let's not write their obituaries for 2021 just yet. I suppose with to, you know, with, with a new lineup with Carlos Sainz in there, he's, he's going to want to show what he can do. And Absolutely, that, you know yeah. that that may help because I mean, what we saw we saw broken Vettel this year. Yes, um, yes. You know, re- regardless of what was said about oh, it's the car, it's the car. Well, it can't all be the car. Well, when you look at the drivers who finished behind Vettel in the championship as well, the drivers who finished behind Vettel: Kvyat, Hulkenberg, Raikkonen, Giovinazzi, Russell, Grosjean, Magnussen, Latifi. Everyone else finished ahead of him. Yeah, no, he's only t- two places ahead of Hulkenberg, and Hulkenberg did three races. So, um, yeah, make of that what you will. There, w- there was a period where Hulkenberg had outscored him um, over the space of like ten races, and Hulkenberg had only started one of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not it's not a good look. Didn't make Q three in the final thirteen races of the year. Really, really, really poor. I mean, by by a some considerable margin, the worst season of his career. And I wonder if it was a motivational thing, as you mentioned, if it was just that the, the, the way the car is designed did not favor his style of driving. Um, and I wonder if we'll see a renaissance with him at Aston Martin, the same way that we did from Nelson Piquet in 1990, when he'd had two seasons at Lotus, which was terrible. He'd won the title in 87 with Williams, went to Lotus. The car was, car was really bad, um, really had a bad season in 89, failed to qualify in Belgium. And and he came back in 1990 on a sort of um, on the famous famous contract that he had. He had a hundred thousand dollars per point, um, which Flavio Briatore came to regret because PK won two races. <laughs> so um, yeah, he ended up uh, ended up costing him dear um, because uh, yeah, it was like what was it a million bucks basically? It was nine points for a win back then, so it was nearly a million bucks per win, which in 1990 was really good. So really good pay for a Formula One driver. So yeah, we we could we could see that from Vettel next year. It would be it it would be good because a good Vettel in a good car is something to behold. Yes, it is, and I, I don't want his legacy to be sullied. It's important to remember that Vettel, on his game, is among the very best in the world. And I and I don't buy the idea that he just won his world titles because he was in a Red Bull. It's like saying Hamilton won his titles because he was in a Mercedes. Well, yes, that's part of the equation, but you still have to go out there and win it. And Mark Webber did not do that in the same period. Vettel did. So, you know, it's not as easy as just saying, oh, just any any idiot can drive that car and win it. Um, but he does he, he does have a certain amount of career reconstruction to undergo with Aston Martin. He has to prove to us again that he is worthy of an F1 seat because he was le- trading on his reputation this year. And if, um, if let's put it this way, if, if Valtteri Bottas had done that or if, Nicholas Latifi had done that and had that kind of performance relative to a teammate. We'd all be saying, well, what's this guy even doing in Formula One? He's got no business yeah. being there. He got abs- He got absolutely trousered by his teammate. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there were Leclerc. So I've got the championship standings in front of me. He scored nearly, uh, yeah, almost three times the amount of points. That- and Leclerc saved Ferrari because he got those opportunist podium finishes in, in um, Austria yeah. and in the British Grand Prix. At times when it was like he very he only ran in the top three for a few laps, a couple of laps in each race, and got on the podium. Were it not for that, Ferrari would have had an even worse season 
So Leclerc's opportunism saved Ferrari from an even worse reckoning than they actually got. Whereas Vettel, Vettel had that race in Turkey, the one race in Turkey where, of course, ironically, he nicked a podium from Leclerc. <laughs> that was the only race all season where Vettel ran in the top three. He never ran in the top three at any other race all season. And that's astonishing to say about a Ferrari driver and a four-time world champion. And that was only for a couple of corners. Yeah. No, no, he ran third earlier in the race as well. Oh, did so he? it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't like uh, it, it was. It was still opportunist, and of course, Leclerc made a mistake that really tore him up because he knew he threw away a podium on that last lap. But Vettel had been running in the top three earlier in the race, so that was the one competitive showing he had. Bloody hell! It's it, it's unthinkable. Uh, right, what we got next? Alpha Tori, uh, Kvyat, who according to um, according to him today is a now a free agent. So he could be doing three legs, four wheels. Uh, the seat's open for you, Danny. Just get in touch. <laughs> and yep. um, we lost one, I'd, Dan. We can, we can, we can get another one in. Yeah. That if works. I were you, I, I'd have, I'd have your people speak with his people. You're our people. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll have a, I'll have a word. Will, yeah. Okay. You, ha- you have a word. I was going to say. Otherwise, I will try and find uh, Danny Kvyat's people. <laughs> I, I'm. I, I'm. I'm. I hesitate to say friends because it sounds a little bit too chummy, but like I, I'm well, I'm acquainted with the sister of his wife or girlfriend, who is the daughter of Nelson Piquet, yes. aforementioned. Um, so yeah, I get a message to him. <laughs> that would be great. Um, so 11th on his last race for now, but he's already making plans for 2022. And yeah. P- and Pierre Gasly, who talk about career comebacks. On the scrappy yes. Red Bull comes goes back to AlphaTauri, wins a race. Yes, you know, again, uh, slightly fluky, but nevertheless, you've got to win them, haven't they? When you've, the opportunity drops into your lap, you've still got to do it. You've still got, you've got to be leading at some point somehow. Yeah, um, and and to those who say, well, it was it was easy, it dropped into his lap. Well, it should have been Lance Stroll's race, but Lance Stroll buggered up the restart. So <laughs> go go ask Lance Stroll how it felt. Managed to keep Carlos Sainz behind him as well. Kept Sainz mm-hmm. behind him under yeah. maximum pressure, knowing like yeah. this could be once in a lifetime. I don't know if I'm ever going to have this opportunity again. Um, and he did not. He did not blink under pressure. So good for him. Um, Gasly's performance this season, to me, illustrates something I've said for a long time, which is I, I feel like there's an institutional problem with the second Red Bull because Gasly looked like the worst driver in the world last year. Uh, routinely getting lapped by Verstappen. And yet, you put it back in an AlphaTauri, or Toro Rosso, as it was, and suddenly you think, okay, now I, now I see what you ha- what, why you were interested in this guy in the first place. Uh, he looked really good. And that makes me think that Alex Albon, it's tough to judge Alex Albon's pace and assume and just conclude, well, he's obviously a terrible driver. Because we thought that about Gasly last year. So, yeah, Gasly, it, it, Gasly's performance, to me, gives hope for Albon. And even if they drop Albon, it, 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 I hesitate to conclude that it's just Albon's fault. Like, I'm not saying that Red Bull are deliberately making him slower, that it's, it's not something that con- they're consciously doing, but there's something psychologically is not happening with that second Red Bull. Um, and Gasly proved it. You put him back in another, in a different team and suddenly he became the driver he always should have been. Um, and he was consistently good in qualifying. He was consistently good in qualifying. He had more Q3 appearances this year than anybody who has driven for that team in history. Even, not even Max Verstappen or Sebastian Vettel had as many Q3s as yeah. Gasly did this year. 
um, put it fourth on the grid at Imola, of course, before the car failed, which is a real gut-wrencher because that's a fantastic qualifying for that team. That was their first top four start since Monza 08 when Vettel won. Um, and Kefir, well, where was this pace all season? Kefir was in Q3 four times in the last five races of the season, having not got there at all the rest of the year. Like, why did he suddenly pick up the pace? Where was that all year? If he'd done that earlier in the year, we wouldn't be talking about Yuki Tsunoda in that car next year because people would say, well, hang on to Kefir, he's been doing great. Um, yeah, I feel like it's a little bit a day late, a dollar short for Kefir because he's drunk in the last chance saloon more often than any other driver ever, I think. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, is this his third or fourth stint in that team? Oh, God. Um, it's his third, I guess, because he started in 14. Then he was promoted to Red Bull. Then he was sent back to Toro Rosso. Yeah, and then, then he, he was sort of by Brendan Hartley. He mm. was given the old switcheroo because he, 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 they had three drivers for two cars in 2017. Yeah. Then he missed 18. Then he was back in 19, got on the yeah. podium. And then you got this season where he was pretty underwhelming until... From Imola onwards, he suddenly became the driver that he was, you know, that originally had Red Bull attracted to him. So, yeah, an enigma there. He um, he clearly, in a way, he's, he's reminiscent of the sort of Ralph Schumacher figure, which is when all the conditions are right, he can be seriously fast. But if it's not all there, you're going to have trouble. Like, he's going to be sort of underwhelming, just sort of middling. Not, yeah. not, not crap. He's never crap. He's just, eh. You know, he's just not really a factor. And that's a shame because he clearly has the pace. If he could just get it, if he could just do that on a regular basis, we, we wouldn't be talking about him in terms of unemployment. He'll end up on a test program somewhere and then... I, I oh, or in the Ferrari simulator again. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's <laughs> where they all seem to go. I mean, they did that with Brandon Hartley, didn't they? Mm. Well, I can tell you one thing. Ferrari would love to have Kofiat's feedback on the Honda power unit. Because if there's one place that Ferrari have been trailing all season, it's in uh, power unit. So, yeah, he'd be a, he'd be a valuable acquisition in that department. He'll no, the, their people will end up talking to his people. <laughs> <laughs> as, yeah. lo as long as his people talk to our people first, and we get him on the show. <laughs> uh, right, racing point. The last race for the Silverstone team under that name. God, how many times have we said that before? This is every season, isn't it? <laughs> Um, Spiker, Midland, Jordan. Yeah, and then you also, you also had these interregnum names, Spiker, MF1, and yeah. um, Racing Point Force India. Yeah, of course, yeah, Racing Point Force India, yeah. And there was like, Which yeah. they, wanted, they, they wanted me to count their stats from the Belgian Grand Prix of 2018 onwards, and I said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. The car is a Force <laughs> India. It's when you change the name of the car, that's when we talk about it. <laughs> and, of course, it was that year when they were Jordan, but they were really owned by Midland. Correct. Yeah, the Alex Snyder Jordan. Yes. 2005. Yeah. So, um, can we just start calling him Team Doctor Who? <laughs> the Silverstone team. Yeah, new identity every couple of years. Um, Perez, another DNF. Never had consecutive podiums. Um, no, no. I well, well picked up on a stat that I threw out in the uh, broadcast a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. that, I, that I had... I had forgotten about it until you just said it. I forgot that I did that one. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say when, um, when Crofty said it, I thought I know, I know where that came from. Mm. <laughs> um, yes, you are right. Yeah, another driver looking at unemployment next season, and I just can't for the life of me work out why. Well, if you believe the remarks of Ted Kravitz in the Notebook on Sunday night, um, 
then he seemed pretty certain that we were going to get an announcement from Red Bull this week that Perez would be in the second car next year. Can and I, can I just, driver. just in case, this is where the jump cut comes in. <laughs> because F1 Nothing's, News, nothing's happened in the last hour or so. Yeah, because F1 News has got a nasty habit of happening on a Tuesday just after the show gets mixed and is about to be uploaded. If, if well, I'll tell you what, let, let me record another thing. I can't believe Red Bull have not signed Perez. Isn't it a scandal? <laughs> there you go. There's your pickup. We've got, we've got both. We've got both. Um, yeah, um, another DNF, but he's, he's, he's finally got the win. And that's been coming yes. for a long time. And it was, it was great to see. Um, it was. You just, you know, you want him to have a future. He's he's always he's always been good. I think I think he got damaged by that year at McLaren, but mm. I've been I've been saying that for a long time. But over the course of, the, well, since um, since he's, he's then, done enough since, hasn't he? Surely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, it's twenty fourteen. He joined that Force India team, mm. and uh, okay, yeah, he came with 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 a lot more sponsors than than he ends up you know taking with him now. But he um, he totally rebuilt his his career uh he was like the next wonder kid wasn't he after those performances in 2012 i think it was for sauber yeah um uh, malaysia and then at monza um when it looked like he might win but you know two second places and then for him to have to wait another eight years before he finally gets his win you know from those two wonder kid performances in a sauber it's just it's phenomenal really but I don't know if the opportunity ever presented itself to Sergio Perez um, before last weekend to win a race. Well, uh, the he it did come before, and that was Malaysia 2012, which was a race he should have won. That and was his engineer's threw, fault. He threw it away by running wide um, when he was going to catch Alonso. He was clearly yeah. going to catch Alonso, and, and he went off. And then he, he lost so much time that he never caught him. Uh, but it was really Perez's race for the taking. Um, I still blame and, his engineer for that because his engineer said, don't mess this up, mate. And then he went wide. <laughs> right. To hell with the engineer, goddammit. He was driving the car. Um, <laughs> um, it's like um, when... <laughs> that's like blaming our executive producer, uh, Rick Miner, our old executive producer at, at Speed Channel. He always used to say before we go on the air, so all right, guys, good luck, and make sure don't fuck it up. And then he'd walk out. <laughs> <laughs> so if anything went wrong, it was always his fault. Yeah. Right, so it's basically Rick Miner's fault that we messed up the broadcast. Um, no, now I want to I want to return to this idea of, of middling F2 GP2 drivers. Because when Perez was in that category, he was a middling driver. He wasn't somebody who I thought was particularly impressive. And when he came into F1, um, he actually scored points on his debut in Australia in 2011. But the cars were disqualified. Sauber mm. were disqualified from the race, so he lost that. Mm. Um, he's always been a better F1 driver than he ever looked in F2. He's one of those rare breed that actually outperformed his speed in the junior categories. But I have to say, the end of 2012, he finished on the podium in Malaysia, Canada, and Italy in 2012. And shortly thereafter, Hamilton dropped the bombshell that he was moving to Mercedes. And there was an open seat at McLaren. And at the time, I can recall having a, a debate on the subject in the paddock um, 
actually it was Will, Will, Will Buxton. And we were talking about who, who would go in that, who would go in the McLaren. And, and I immediately, without hesitation, I said, Nico Hulkenberg. It's got to be Hulkenberg. He's clearly the best driver to put in that car. Bear in mind that him and Perez were equal stage in their careers at that mm. point, but Hulkenberg had a much, much better junior formula record. Um, but they went for Perez. They put Perez in the car at McLaren. And he was genuinely, generally, um, you know, sort of, eh, he was all right. Not, nothing, no great shakes. And of course, he was out on his ear at the end of the season. He went off to force India with his tail between his legs. But that really, from 2014 onwards, was, a re- was the birth of Perez as the driver that we know him now. The, he's become this giant killer, whereby I always compare him with Hulkenberg, not just because of what, what I'd said in 2012, when Hulkenberg didn't get the McLaren drive, but also Perez, whenever there's a sniff of a mad race, whenever there's a chance of an unexpected podium, Perez is always there or thereabouts. He's always in, in the mix. You know, there's always a chance it's going to be Perez. And you knew it was never going to be Hulkenberg. Every time there was a chance that Hulkenberg would get on the podium, he'd bugger it up. I can't, you know, the two times in Baku where he hit the wall, when he was in a position to be on the podium, there was that the Hockenheim last year when he went off, oh. um, <clears throat> which I know a lot of people sympathize. And I actually lost my temper because I said, yep. right, that's it. I'm done with him. That, that was the last chance. Like you were, that's yet again, another chance you had for a podium finish and you messed it up. Oh, you, you and know. Cyril Abitaboul, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we both, I, often, I, I often think to myself that my, my elastic limit is, this, is very similar to a Formula One team principle <laughs> because I had, I had the, same, the same epiphany struck me during the Portuguese Grand Prix with Botas. Like I suddenly reached the breaking point midway through the Portuguese Grand Prix this year where I said, Botas is not good enough. Get somebody else. I've had enough of this. Um, and that's what I had with Hockenberg at Hockenheim last year. You know, it's not personal. It's just the culmination of a career's worth of results. Perez, you don't have that. Perez, more often than not, is, is, finds a way to be in the consideration whenever there's a crazy race. And of course, in Sakia, we had that. And you have to hand it to him. That was a fantastic drive to come from last at the end of the first lap and, yeah. not, and not throw his toys out the pram and say, this is a waste of time. Why am I even bothering? He stuck with it and was rewarded duly. And that was, it was a brilliant, a brilliant drive. Really, really fantastic. I was, I was sad that Russell didn't win that race because it was, it should, it looked like Russell's race, but you couldn't be, you couldn't not be happy for Perez because after the way he'd driven, the culmination of so many occasions where he, as I said, he was a giant killer. He'd get on the podium where you weren't expecting him to. This was another of those races, except it was the big prize this time. It was the win. So yeah, it's, Perez is one of those drivers that sort of has proven me wrong, you might say, because I didn't think he was all that great in, in F2. But in F1, he's really, really learned how to do this. You know, he's learned the racecraft and combined with the, the speed that he obviously had to get to F2 and has become this driver where you think, yeah, he's the kind of guy we want in our team. Well, and I wouldn't have thought that at the end of his McLaren career because I just thought it was, I think at McLaren, I felt like he'd been found out. Because I wasn't suitably convinced by 2012. I just felt like there was um, some freak circumstances involved. But now I've come to realize, no, no, no. When there are freak circumstances, Perez is up at the front because <laughs> he knows how to exploit the freak circumstances. It's not, it can't, it, can't, it can't always be luck. Because if it always was luck, then Hulkenberg would have had a podium. 
to what you're saying is Racing Point have fired the wrong driver. Well, I could have told you that at the start of the season, but <laughs> um, you know, there's nothing that the championship has said this season that says that that's that, that that's incorrect. Um, Perez, you know, had getting on for three times as many points as Lance Stroll, and um, missed two races. And missed two races. You're right. So getting rid of Perez seems a bit balmy, but I, I, I've often said that Stroll, Stroll is a good racer who can't qualify. And you saw in Turkey what happens when he does qualify well, because he put it on pole position and then he went out and led 32 laps of that race. So you put, if you put Stroll at the front of the grid, he looks very good. If you put him in amongst the traffic, less so. So yeah, there, there, there's pace. Lance Stroll has pace but he doesn't have what Sergio has. And that's that racecraft. You can see, he, well, he can qualify well, but he also has that, the, the excellent, you might call him like a wily, I guess is what you'd call him. Canny, canny racer. Yeah. Uh, knows, no, knows, he obviously knows the, the right amount of risk to take that going over the line. So yeah, shame, shame we're not gonna have Perez in that car, but I do think he should be in the second Red Bull. Um, because I don't see that we're going to get to Red Bull in a minute, so I won't spoil that. We'll get to Red Bull, but uh, yeah, I think he should. I think he should be in the second car. I think Perez breaking down yesterday as well was like the the death knell for that race. Him coming through the field would have livened it up a bit. Yeah. It would have been quite fun to see how far up he could have got, and then just as soon as he was out, nothing really happened. Yeah, and he would have scored as well. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I, I feel confident he would have scored points because, of course. Of course, he was last at the end of the first lap in Sakir, but he was also last at the end of the first lap in Portimao, and he scored points in that race as well. It's not; it wasn't a fluke. He keeps doing that. It's yeah. it's this stuff is not a fluke. It's because he is he is very good at dealing with that. And having a having a driver that can overtake is a bit of a rarity at the moment, because apparently the cars well, can't. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well. I, <laughs> My 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 opinions on DRS are, are are very much on the record, which is, I can pass Lewis Hamilton if I'm in the DRS zone, and I shouldn't be able to pass Lewis Hamilton in the DRS zone. We should have a situation where the drivers are required to use more skill than pressing a button. Um, but Ross Braun's working on that, and hopefully his yeah. solutions for 2022 and beyond will be valid ones. Yeah, it, it will be bloody good to see. Uh, right, Renault next. Uh, Danny Rick in seventh, Ocon in ninth. Um, probably what you, probably what you'd have expected from Renault, really. Yeah, bizarrely bad qualifying though. Hmm. Didn't see that coming. I've got to admit, I missed qualifying. Yeah, you had a nap that lasted the entire duration of qualifying. I wish I'd had a nap that lasted oh, the entire more. duration of the race. <laughs> I was out on Friday with work. It was our Christmas do. You literally woke up just as Croft goes, and it's Verstappen on pole. That was, I think, the first thing you heard. I think that, I think that woke me up. <laughs> yeah, no, I think Renault were, were, were right. They were pretty good times during the season, but uh, yeah, I think yesterday was the the um, that just encompassed their entire season, really, didn't it? Um, Ricardo seventh, Ocon ninth. Uh, looked like they probably could have got higher up, but then just just didn't for whatever reason. I mean, Ricardo's um, podium earlier on in the year was that Imola, i think it was um, yeah we well, had two yeah oh yeah yeah good point yeah two podiums yeah <laughs> but the, the um 
they've been knocking at the door of podium for a long time before it happened. And he's one of those drivers who can push a car further than you know you expect it to go with, as we say, competent. Um, you're, break- I actually think- you're breaking up, Chris. <laughs> oh, am I? Either that or you're breaking down. I can't you tell. You sound which. a little bit underwater. <laughs> I think he just swore at you. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. Um, I'll fill for this one. I think the, the most notable thing this weekend was uh, Danny wearing a Fernando Alonso face mask. Was it a Fernando Alonso one? Do we have that confirmed? Alonso was wearing the same one in the Renault garage later on in the afternoon. So it must be a Kimoa. I don't think you're meant to share masks. No, the Kimoa have a but range. The, the same design, not the same mask. Kimoa have a range that are sort of, you know, super... Eco- ecological, green, environmentally friendly, about sixty euros a pop. Jesus! <laughs> Buy hats; they go on your head. <laughs> I, I should have been in advertising. Chris, are you back with us yet? He's not, you know. Oh, oh he's van- oh, he's vanished off the call. Oh no, he's vanished. He's well, I'm going to have to stand in for him with my my rickety knowledge of F1 history of the 2020 season what will I say right um, um, have you got anything on uh, on the Renault drivers I don't know if the well yes I think it was, a, it, was, it was probably slightly unfair of Chris to say it was typical Abu Dhabi was typical of Renault season because they really did have a big step forward this year um, Ricardo scored in the last 11 races that's his best streak since 2016 can you believe last two years at Red Bull he didn't have that um and um, Ocon finished on a high, getting the podium, of course, first career podium in Sakir, and then out-qualifying Ricardo, which was key because he hadn't out-qualified Ricardo in a dry session this year. He'd been beaten in 14 straight qualifying sessions. The only, only Styria in the wet was um, the only race this year where he beat him in qualifying until Yas Marina. So he gets to finish on a high. Um, it just... As I said before, it was the, 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 the battle for third in the championship was so tight that it was... You know, one race, it would be Renault being at the front, then it'd be Racing Point, then it'd be McLaren, occasionally it'd be a Ferrari. Uh, even AlphaTauri got in on the act at some point. So it was just one of those races where, okay, this obviously wasn't a Renault weekend. It was a McLaren weekend. Um, but they did a lot better than, than, than they did um, in, uh, pre- the, in 2019 and so on. And there was, a lot of, there was a lot of times this season where we thought to ourselves, has Daniel Ricciardo made the right decision to go from Renault to McLaren? And and now here we are after Abu Dhabi and thinking, oh, well, clearly it was the best decision. <laughs> it, it looks inspired now. But if you'd asked me like a month ago, you would have said, oh, he probably doesn't want to leave now, does he? So that's how close it's been. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're on the verge of watching his second bad career move in the space of three years. That's what it looked like. But now, well, are we talking about McLaren yet? Um, not yet, but bear with us a sec. Right, yeah, well... We'll get to McLaren, but suffice it to say that the smile on Ricardo's face is not just because he's wearing Alonso's mask. <laughs> <laughs> and by the miracle of uh, technology, we've now got Chris back. Yeah, what I was saying when uh, when I went all underwater and then and then totally vanished was that um, uh, Ricardo, kind of driver who can put cars much further up the grid than they should be, and. Um, I think that McLaren, once they get sorted with that Mercedes power unit, I think he'll do wonderful things there. But I'm also surprised by Esteban Ocon um, having uh, you know quite a strong a stronger end to the season. Early on, he didn't look like he was able to keep pace with Ricardo, 
but as the season's gone on he's gotten stronger and stronger um and it'll be interesting to see if he can carry that through to next year um you know against the almighty returning fernando alonso who's worth 20 Leclerc yeah. or something <laughs> yeah, oh, alonso's going to alonso's alonso's going to be an interesting cat next year because he's going to be 40 and as I've, as I've mentioned extensively on my Twitter handle, we only had one Grand Prix won by a driver over 40 in the last 50 years. There is a drop-off point for drivers in their late 30s, and it will be interesting to see if Alonso can go against the trend in that department. Very much so. Yeah, Lee is convinced that Alonso is going to win a world championship with Renault, <laughs> but uh, I am less convinced of this. I'm convinced with Lee's predictions. He just predicts everything and then sounds like he knows what he's talking about by sheer wide casting of the net. Yeah, pretty much. That's how, <laughs> how, how Lee's, Lee's predictions normally take hold, yeah. I should also add that I think the reason Daniel Ricciardo jumped ship to McLaren so early, before the season had even properly started, restarted, was because he might have looked at the situation with coronavirus and thought Renault were going to pull out of Formula 1. Because mm. Renault have a habit of pulling out of F1 whenever the financial circumstances take a downturn. That had previously happened at the end of 2010 when they sold it to Genie Capital. Yeah. And he may, have thought, he may have looked at it and thought, are they going to do that again? And I'm going to be left with this sort of customer half-arsed F1 team. Um, and, and instead, you know, go to McLaren, who you know McLaren are not going to pull out of Formula 1. You know, racing's what they do. Um, so... I, I think that must have factored into Ricardo's decision-making when he made that move in the early part of this season because it was after that, of course, the coronavirus led to these um, final come-to-Jesus meetings about cutting costs for good and all and putting in um, caps on what we could spend on everything. And that persuaded Renault to stay in and rebrand as Alpine. So I think that that must have been Ricardo's thought process. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was lucky in the end that it turned out to be McLaren and Renault were almost interchangeable in terms of their pace at points this season. Seems like a good time to move on to McLaren, actually. Carlos in sixth on his last race for the team, and Lando in fifth. The end of the bromance. <laughs> yeah, there was an amusing segment on Sky Sports in the pre-race yesterday where they just handed the mics over to Carlos and Lando Norris. Um, and for those of you who saw it, you probably realised... You probably you probably came to the same conclusion that the producers did, which was this seemed like a good idea, but actually it's not really working because um, it turns out that once you hand them the mics and there's nobody to actually ask them any questions, they can't think of anything to say, which was unfortunate. But um, but it was I, I admired I admired their their ability or willingness to take risks with their live broadcast. Anyway. <laughs> So McLaren back in the top three, first time since 2012, first time since Lewis Hamilton left the team that they've been in the top three in the Constructors' Championship. But there was a bigger stat to come out of the Abu Dhabi weekend and one that really bodes well for 2021 as they reunite with Mercedes. Okay. And that is that Norris only missed pole by something like 0.23 of a second. Mm. Yep. That's, the, that's the closest a McLaren has been to pole position since... They took pole at Brazil 2012. They have never been that close to pole in the eight years since then. And they got that close. And that's, that's a great stat to go out on. You know, third in the construction championship is a seasonal thing. But to go out at the end of the season and think, hey, we got really close to being on pole on outright pace in this race. That's, you know, that's a pick-me-up, I've got to say. When you consider 
when they were thrashing around in 2015 and 2017 with a car that wouldn't even make it around the formation lap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, over the time that we've been doing this, because we started these podcasts at the start of the 2015 season, which sort of coincided with um, McLaren hitting what we thought was rock bottom at the time, um, we've, we've kind of covered the, the sort of the resurgence of McLaren back to um, back to where they were in the years before we started, and the Mercedes engine could be could be the next step, and we could be, we could be looking at them actually challenging for podiums and wins on a regular basis rather than the odd one with Lando doing yeah. his last lap heroics. And as a long-time McLaren fan, I'm, I'm all in favour. And let's right. not forget that this weekend, of course, they just sold a stake in the team, um, which is going to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in, in capital up front. So, you know, they're not, uh, they're not hurting anymore. They had a serious budget, serious cash flow problem during the shutdown. But now they're in, on much uh, steadier footing. The, the, you know, incoming is you know, the, the dominant power unit of the era um, and one of the top drivers. So you know, everything is moving in the right direction at McLaren. Yeah, the futures. I'm not going to do the futures bright. The futures orange. That's been done <laughs> too many times. Papaya. Sorry. Orange. Sorry. The futures. Don't say. Don't here. say that. Don't say that because the last team that used that slogan went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Arrows was that. Yeah. Yeah. The futures bright. The futures got a kiwi on it somewhere. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll do. Um, and then, of course, Mercedes in their unusual second place on our list. Um, turned the engines down this weekend because I was worried about the MG UK. To yeah. be fair, I that think is that... the caveat. That is the caveat to that McLaren stat that I gave you, which is maybe that that had a determining factor on the gaps to pole position. Because I think the MG UK is what went pop in Perez, so. Yeah, that's obviously yeah. A, a sensitive uh, and, part at this time of the year. And also, you know, if you've done like all the hard work in the lead up to this uh, to this last race, it's almost like um, when everything's settled for your guys, and you only just need to make sure that Bottas gets the second place in the championship. Well, just knock the engines down a little bit because uh, it's kind of like the last day at school. Bring your games in, <laughs> just like. Yeah, you know, just just it's fine. We've done all the hard work. Just, except, just, except this time, it was trying right. to make sure it didn't go kaplunk. <laughs> yeah, just, just 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 everything's fine. Just just relax. It, it didn't feel like uh, it didn't feel like uh, there was no urgency to Mercedes this weekend at all whatsoever. Uh, all the, the the speculation surrounding um, Hamilton was: is he well enough to drive? And you know, he admitted himself, "I'm still recovering. I might return some negative tests, but you know, I'm still still don't feel a hundred percent." And the Bottas was, in all honesty, Valtteri Bottas. He was, he was there or thereabouts. He wasn't, you know, going for the win when there was somebody in front of him. Hmm. Solidly second. It was just a different leader. Yeah. I mean, don't forget, Lewis had to ex- extend a little bit more effort for uh, two-thirds of the weekend because Angela wasn't there till Sunday to help him put his coat on. <laughs> <laughs> now, you say that, but... It sounds like Lewis was genuinely hobbled by COVID nineteen. He so. did. He did mm. seem in a bad way. Um, I, when looking at the um, looking at the press that he did certainly certainly Friday and Saturday, he shouldn't have been there. Because um, yeah, George Russell did did press on Thursday, didn't he? Because obviously we didn't know what was happening on, on when the press was already arranged. Um, but it was when. It was just after the presser, wasn't it, on Thursday that it was announced that Hamilton would be coming back for Friday. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it shows his strength of character to be able to come back so soon. Um, when all that we'd heard before was, yeah, he's got, the, he's got symptoms and he is struggling with it. Um, but who amongst us wouldn't have liked to have seen George Russell in that car? Oh yeah, well, totally. Yeah. I, I had, a, I had a, more than a few messages um, privately from people at the racetrack this weekend saying uh, we were kind of hoping that George was going to be in the car as well, um, and and it wasn't it's not a reflection of Lewis, um, not not that they didn't they had anything against Lewis Hamilton being in the car or anything like that. It was just more like, look, the championship's already won. It'd be kind of nice to see have have Russell have another go out in that car and, and either confirm or disprove what we saw in Sakir. Um because we know we we get it we get that Lewis Hamilton is utterly brilliant we know that we want to you know there's this unknown that we want to sort of put to the test um so it would have been it would have it would have livened up a race and of course we knew that Abu Dhabi is always going to be a pretty dull race it always is so that would have livened things up as well so um, yeah I mean good on Lewis for getting back in the car but yeah if he'd if he if he'd said you know, oh, I'm fe- uh, I need a, I need another lem sip. I I, I, I can't do it this week. We would have been totally fine with it. It would have been no problem. He still would have won the championship over hundred points, and he wouldn't <laughs> have even done two races. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that yeah, that, be- that just shows how dominant he's been this season. Yeah, he clearly wasn't hundred percent though, and I don't think the car was at hundred uh, percent, especially for the race. Um, I know they're supposed to use the same engine mode now, aren't they? That they they, they went out in qualifying with. Um, but that's not to take anything away from what Red Bull managed with Max Verstappen, because you know, I don't, was that the first time that Red Bull, um, somebody who's not Mercedes, has won at Abu Dhabi in in the hybrid era? Yep, it's been. If there was something that was an absolute dead cert in the hybrid era, it was that Mercedes would be one-two in qualifying at Yas Marina and that they would win the race. That has happened yeah. every single year, and and this year it didn't. So for whatever reason. And you can say, yeah, Mercedes had to turn down the power units. Well, what about all the other years when other teams had to turn down power units? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, Red Bull have had to do that in the past. But this this weekend, Mercedes didn't have it either, either whether, be it on outright pace or reliability. Um, and Red Bull did. And again, kudos to Honda, who got a lot of stick for not having a reliable power unit all those years. They didn't have a problem. And they went through the whole season without a single power unit change that caused a penalty. Mm-hmm. Gasly, Gasly had that weird thing in Turkey where they were going to change something and then didn't but got the penalty for it even though they didn't change it um, but Honda went the year without any power unit penalties so yeah that's a hell of a turnaround and they deserve a lot of credit and it's such a shame that they've decided to pull out because they've, they've, they've just got to the point now where they're really you know they are at the races in a literal sense and, and suddenly they've decided they don't want to do it anymore yeah it's a shame. I I really hope Red Bull do come to some kind of uh, some kind of arrangement mm-hmm. to um, to keep that power unit badged as themselves and keep the development going up on rather than just going back to be a bog standard customer. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, it'll be it'll be good. Um, going on to Red Bull, I can't believe that was only Max Verstappen's third pole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, mad, isn't it? It just shows you how much Mercedes have been hogging it for the last few years. Mm. Yeah, it was 118 races and three poles. You'd think that would be sort of like, you know, the stats of somebody who was, you know, kind of average, but in a in a front-running car. <laughs> but it's actually, you know, Max Verstappen, who uh, is still only... How old is he now? 23? 23, yeah. Mm-hmm. And his numbers, his numbers bear resemblance to Gilles Villeneuve, who I believe was only on pole twice. 
you know, this incredible right, driver okay. that you've heard so much about. He only could, I think he only took two poles. Um, so yeah, it's similar to that. Verstappen held a record for the for for a while of having the most Grand Prix victories for any driver who didn't have a pole position because he had, I think he had seven wins before he took a pole, <laughs> and no one had ever done that before. Had, 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 well, I say that Denny Holm might have done it. Um, I can't remember how many wins Denny Holm had because Denny Holm won the world title in 1967 and didn't take a pole position until 1973. <laughs> Which is weird. How weird is that? Um, New Zealand's only world champion as well, isn't he, Denny Holm? Uh, yes. Yeah. Because Bruce McLaren... Bruce McLaren actually was a previous holder of the record for most wins without a pole, which Verstappen broke. Wow. Okay, so, so it was a long-standing record then. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think, I think uh, McLaren, Bruce McLaren held it and... Oh, who's the other guy who had it? Um, hang on a minute. Let me, get, let me consult the Oracle here and just double check. <laughs> uh, since um, I have all my... Uh, uh, Eddie Irvine. Eddie Irvine, most wow. four wins without a pole. Wow. Yeah, I mean, in, in the current era, that's it's sort of unthinkable because you, you just think, oh, they've got pole position, they're just going to drive off and win it. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, that's, that's how F1's worked for a long time. Um, you said you had some... Said you had some thoughts on Red Bull, Sean, that you were going to save until we got there. Were there? Yeah, I can't remember what the exact thoughts were, but I'll, I'll reel <laughs> off my spiel anyway. Um, uh, the, the, they should put Perez in that second car because um, Perez has done demonstrably enough to prove that he should be in a front-running car. And um, Alex Albon, uh, f for whatever reason, and I and I, I am loath to criticise a driver when he replaced another driver who was similarly underperforming, who then went and proved that it wasn't just him because he went to another team and suddenly it looks like a, a driver reborn. Yeah. Um, I hesitate to say that Albon is the, the, the sole reason why the second Red Bull is not as good as the first Red Bull. But even if, it, even if there was no problem there, I would never expect Albon to be as quick as Verstappen anyway, because Verstappen is prodigal, prodigal talent. And Albon was always quite good in the junior formula, but he was quite good, Nicholas Latifi quite good, as opposed to George Russell quite good. Um, he was always the guy who would trail in behind George Russell. So um, on that basis, and, and given what Perez can bring to the table, um, with the critical knowledge of the Mercedes power unit, which he's used throughout the entire hybrid era, at a time when Red Bull needs something um, in, in the engine department, because one way or another something's going to change. Um, that's that's key knowledge. They could put up, they could they could bench Albon. I don't, I'm not saying they should fire Albon and leave him without anything, but I don't see what they've got to lose because the fact remains, and this is a harsh reality. I hate to say it, Red Bull have essentially been a one-car team since Daniel Ricciardo left. They haven't had when you know name any other time where. A Red Bull, other than Verstappen, has been capable of winning a race in the last two years. Yeah, you can't. There, there is no example. There's no example of another Red Bull being in the battle for pole position in the last two years. But Verstappen's always there. So Verstappen proves that it's, that car is capable of being up there. So they need another driver who can do that. Now, Daniel Ricciardo could do that. He couldn't do it probably as often, as recurring as Verstappen. But, but Ricciardo was capable of beating Verstappen. So... That's how we know Ricardo is, you know, the real deal. 
Albon and Gasly, for whatever reason in that car, have, have spectacularly not done that. Now, if you put Perez in that car and he underperforms, then you've proven Albon's point. Like, see, it wasn't me, guys. But if Perez actually gets on Verstappen's case, then you've got a two-car team again. So what really do you have to lose? And you've got all that experience, six years, seven years working with Mercedes um, power units in the hybrid era. I'm sure he could bring a whole lot of um, illustrative knowledge to Honda's program because at the moment, Honda are confined to the Red Bull teams and they're all Red Bull people. They haven't had somebody come in who's driven another power unit, have they? So, no. you know, what's what's to lose by that? I don't I don't know why you would still be fannying around with this decision. As I understand it, it's a case of that Mattershitz wants to hang on. Mattershitz is loyal to Albon. Mattershitz is loyal to the Red Bull guys. And that Marco and Horner want Perez because of the competitive advantage. Um just just get on it guys you know stop Malishitz I think is maybe overthinking this he's perhaps he's forgetting that um it's a privilege for Albon and it's it's a privilege for the drivers to be looked after by Red Bull it's not his privilege to have them at the team he's the guy paying the wages so he should he shouldn't feel so bad if he says look right you're on the bench Sergio you're up I mean just the does the tie thing come into it anyway with um Red Bull being the parts of it that aren't owned by Matt Schitt's being tie-owned, and it sort of gives him, gives him a link to where he got the original recipe for the drink from. Perhaps. Maybe. And maybe it's, you know, it's it's a case of we've got a tie driver, Red Bull, tie-originating brand. All the, the time when Pierre Gasly accidentally met their prime minister or their president or their king or whoever yep. it is when they thought they were going to get Albon and they switched seats. the drivers. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Poor, poor Gasly. <laughs> Although a friend, um, friend of the podcast, Dave Roebuck, who um, who lives in Thailand, apparently Albon is completely anonymous over there. Oh. There's no there's no buzz around him at all, but there's plenty of Formula One buzz. They've got Moose Cider. That's one of the Alpha Tori sponsors, isn't it? That's Thai. Yeah, and Moose Hot Dogs when they're not allowed to advertise booze. Moose Hot Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten about that. Because cider and hot dogs go so well together. Mm. But... Aside, aside from that's the only reason that I can think why they want to hang on to him just for just for marketing purposes, and that's the worst reason to have an F one driver in your team. Yeah, but everybody well, knows Sergio Perez, though, don't they? But the thing is, is I mean, I live on the border with Mexico, and I've been to the Mexican Grand Prix, and I know they all go absolutely potty for him. So, how many cans of Red Bull are you going to sell in Mexico if Sergio Perez is driving your car? It's going to go mental. There was the, 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 the taxis in Mexico City are pink and they all lined up and sort of honked their horns and everything down the, the main thoroughfare through the middle of Mexico City on sun, last Sunday when Perez won in Bahrain. Um, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get that in Thailand. Um, it's, it's a very, I don't say rabid because that sounds, like a, that sounds like a derogatory term, but it's a very passionate fan base. And I, and I love that about Mexicans. They're, they're, they're so completely head over heels for it. Yeah. And they make, the so, they make it one of the best. Time, yeah, 50 years since a Mexican driver's won a Grand Prix. And now you've got, not only have you got the, the population of Mexico who will suddenly be thinking Perez not only could win, he, not only could he win a race on a regular basis, he could be a title contender, theoretically, if you put him in a Red Bull. And um, you've also got the, the diaspora across the United States as well, 
for whom Perez, you know, is their guy. So yeah. there's a there's there's a huge re, there's a huge marketing reason to put Perez in that car instead. I'm I'm cynical about the, when you know they they want to capture these new markets. Like let's put Rio Harianto in the car. Let's put Martin Quar in the car because he's from China. And if we put him in the car, there'll, there'll be a billion Chinese people who'll suddenly go out and buy our brand of cigarettes. It, it you know it's 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 a new market. They're not really going to go flock to it that quick. They need to be already a motor, motorsports industry, a motorsports culture and there is that absolutely in mexico so they'll go mental for it and while we're on the subject has anyone found the point of mahiva raganathan yet oh christ <laughs> well is, now is he still a thing has he turned up anywhere well, not, not well, anywhere he is, noticeable he is he's a legend really <laughs> well, yes <laughs> When I got F1 2020 and you could start your own team and you could choose your own teammate, I, I picked him for Team Haddock Racing, the flying fish. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> we didn't. Do I got well. nothing. I got nothing for you there. I got nothing at all. <laughs> we didn't do well. <laughs> um, right. So for this weekend, rock stars and wankers. Oh, yes, please. Oh. Uh, Rockstars, F1 for getting us to the end of the season. Absolutely. Uh, Wankers? Yes, I, I want to say, by the way, before you go on, thank you, F1, for keeping this roof over my head. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we'd like to thank F1 as well for giving us something to talk about on a Monday. Yes. <laughs> and occasionally a Tuesday, which might still yet have already happened. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Stop breaking time. No, yes. There's a lot of time dilation going on in this. So I think we should move on. Um, wankers, <laughs> the circuit layout. Yeah. Perez's MGUK. Yeah. That was a wanker. Yeah. I can't really think there of anything else. else. No, there wasn't enough to catch the eye, really, was there? No. I mean, I really like the, uh, the, the circuit at Abu Dhabi. I just wish we would get good races there. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I as previously documented, I love going to Abu Dhabi. It's one of my absolute favorite weekends of the year and it deserves a much better race so i i hope i hope the relevant organizers at yas marina are taking a look at it and thinking you know might do ourselves a favor here by making a few uh few adjustments yeah get rid of the chicane in the middle of the straight and no loop it around that that marina at the end possibly like See, you say. In, the in theory in theory it should be good you've got this massive long straight yeah and then after that there's another drs zone for a straight you think, okay, we've got it made. It should be fine. Um, not the most spectacular circuit. And there's no corners on it that are particularly memorable. But you should be able to at least race. And yet, somehow, they can't do that. I think they do a lot better if they had a spectacular track. Let's say, for instance, it was Suzuka. You can't pass at Suzuka. But you yeah. still, you know, no one would ever say, oh, Suzuka, boring. It's still spectacular to watch cars in isolation go around that track. Yas Marina doesn't have that. So they need the racing element to compensate. Definitely. Agreed. Definitely. Um, right, Sean, it wouldn't be uh, one of your guest appearances without a Who's a Total Shunt, and as Lee's not here, I thankfully have one in reserve, um, sent in by friend of the podcast, Kieran Thompson, and we have to be nice to oh him. Oh, dear. We have, to be ni <laughs> we have to be nice to Kieran, because every time any of us releases new music, he plays it on his radio show, Vectus Radio, listen, no. listen to it every Yes, week. absolutely. No, I said, oh, dear, because this is going to be a tough one for me if... Uh... 
if Kieran sent it in. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've, I've looked through and I found, I found the most difficult one that I've been sent. Excellent. Um, just as a side note for um, Rolf, uh, Rolf Taway and Thomas Horrocks, who got in touch this week, yours are both going in the um, Total Shunt special that we're doing over Christmas. But I just thought with Sean being on, we we need, need the this difficult one. one. Yeah. Right. Well, me and Flood are going to be useless here then. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Right. I'm not. I'm historically I don't do that well in this in this game. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I recall a couple of occasions where you've given us extra clues during the clues. Yeah, but I'd be like four or five clues deep by that point. You know, I wouldn't get it on the first go. We normally take ten or eleven. Yes. Oh, all right. Well, carry on. Right. We'll start. <laughs> In traditional fashion, I was born. Yeah. In nineteen. That's it. That's the whole yeah. thing. That was, that's <laughs> it. That's it. In nineteen eighty-four. Okay. I started my open wheel career in two thousand and one, racing in the Portuguese Formula BMW Junior Series. Oh, know it well. Yeah. Hmm. But, but um. Okay, so nineteen eighty-four. So be the same age as me. So thirty-six. In 2002, I officially entered into British, the British F3 Championship, though I did not start a race. So we need a guess now. And we'll need a guess after this one. So that sounds like it's probably for sponsorship reasons rather than actually having a seat, mm. perhaps. I found, I found myself studying... F3. I found myself studying... F1 drivers born in the 80s a while back when Lee made a flippant comment I can't remember what it was but it was about drivers born in 1987 I have it in my head 84 is a little bit of a lean's picking lean pickings year for F1 drivers so about Thiago Montero was he, was he? no I think he's older he yeah he's older than that he's older than that I also okay. think he was a total shunt about a month ago Because he was racing F3000 in 2002. Yeah. So that would have made him 18 when he was doing it. Yeah, fair enough. No, okay. Can always skip, ha skip this guess and move on if you're that stuck. Yeah, yeah. Let's, maybe I'm leaning a bit too hard on the whole um, you know, Portuguese Formula BMW. But uh, let's, uh, let's see what, what happens. Okay. After studying, I returned to British F3 for two seasons, where I finished ninth and seventh respectively. After studying? Good God. Okay. I also raced in Germany. Well, hang on, oh, hang on. Oh, well, hang on. Oh, oh. Um. So did you say Brit? You said British F three. British F three. Uh, it's not Nico Prost, is it? We'll continue. Okay. Uh, I also raced in German F three and the F three Masters series. Good for you. <laughs> Between 2009 and 2013, I took part in 42 GP2 races. Sorry, I'll do that one again. Between 2009 and 2013, I took part in 42 GP2 races with a best finish of 14th. Right, so that over four series. Oh, oh, wait, wait, I know who it is. <laughs> he, ha he has put a little um, a little coder onto this one, um, which when you consider I GP2 races were often a melee, this is fucking atrocious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, um, I think is I know it? who it is. 
And I think I I'm, know who it is now as well. And and I'm ast- I'm, and I'm 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 ashamed to say that if it's the person in question, I actually work with him in the paddock club. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> in which case, it's probably not the person I think it is. Then um, so. I think it's Big Tex Ricardo to Sarah. You are correct. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Who were you thinking, Chris? I was going to go Johnny Chicotto, but he's very Oh, he? Christ, Johnny Chicotto. Um, yeah, the, the I, remen- call, I call him. I, I call him Big Tex to his face. <laughs> it's Big Tex. <laughs> the remaining clues were: I've also driven in the uh, FIA F2 series, recording a best finish of fifth. In 2011, I was signed by Team Lotus as their official test and reserve driver, and I remain the only person from my country to drive a Formula One car in a test session. Right, because he is officially from Angola. Yes. Oh. Where is he? Okay, yes. fine. I'm wow. not sure how Angolan he is, but he he's <laughs> he might be he might be. I've never asked him about it. He might be like a plastic Angolan, like I'm a plastic Irish guy. So, <laughs> is it like? Okay, did he race under Portuguese license though when he was uh, when he was driver? No, it was, Ang- it was Angolan license. As oh far right, as I okay. remember? Yeah. He was born in Lisbon, Portugal. I mean, Angola used to be Portuguese. Yeah. But he had he had he had he had uh, big money coming from Sonangol, which is the the big the big oil company Aye. in Angola. Um, so I, I don't I never asked him about it. I probably should really. Um, <laughs> well, you got. Like, should I send I send him a message? Should I send him a message now? And <laughs> why are you Angolan? Hey, yeah, do it. Big do big text. <laughs> question what? for you. I'm in the middle of a, I'm in the middle of a podcast. Can you tell me the answer to this? <laughs> yeah. The. Uh... Next time you speak to him, you just know, let him know he's been a total shunt and see what see what he says to that. Yes, I'm sure he'd appreciate being told his results in GB2 were quote unquote fucking atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he would love to hear that. So if you want to complain about that, it's Kieran Thompson at Vectis Radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but of course, it, it makes him it makes him fantastic as a host in the paddock club, of course, because he's had all this experience driving GP2 F2 cars and and has driven F1 cars. So he can actually, he's a handy guy to have around and say, so when you when you're doing this in an F1 car, what's what's the procedure? Blah blah blah, and he knows it. So yeah, yeah. it's very handy. It's handy to have around in that. You know, you'd say like, okay, well, the results don't say that he should be a Formula One driver, but he has actually done it, so he can actually provide some insight on that on that on that aspect, which is which is fantastic, obviously, for everybody who's who's listening to him. At the time, but yeah, I would, right. I would never, I would never have gotten that. So, Kieran, no, if it wasn't same. for the fact that Sean uh, works with uh, big techs, <laughs> no, 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 not, not, not big techs. It's big techs. <laughs> <laughs> he got, he got that nickname. He got that nickname because the first time we worked together was in Austin, right? Okay. And I said. You realise, Ricardo, that in, in this part of the world, your nickname would be Big Tex. You'd be Big Tex. <laughs> and you just stuck it with something that ever since. Now every time I see him, I'm like, hey, it's Big Tex. I would never have got that. So it's only because of uh, because of Sean that that, um, that that got answered. And the fact that you work with him, Sean. <laughs> no, no, small world, isn't it? So does that mean we've now got our first total shunt that's been colleague of friend of the podcast? <laughs> Right. Yes. Yes. Um, it's a big fan of the show. Never misses an episode. <laughs> After hearing the fucking atrocious line, probably will never listen to another one. <laughs> right. And I and I should say I should say um, in such difficult moments, right? I, I see. The thing is, I don't like getting close to racing drivers because sometimes I have to say things that are not particularly flattering. Um, 
but I always counter it by saying, hey, you know what? You could tell me I'm a fucking terrible statistician as well. So I mean, it goes both ways. <laughs> if it feels like sending us a message saying that we're fucking terrible podcasters, we will appreciate that. <laughs> Right, wait, wait, wait. It might be the episodes that I'm involved in. He may have a point. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, thank you very much for um, taking time out of your apparently only day off this week because you have a film to edit. Yeah, but I'm going to take it easy. The thing is, there's no deadline for the film, so I'm going to sort of I'm going to sit here and screen footage out tomorrow, but sort of fiddle about, and you know, I'm not going to get too intense with it. Well, definitely, let us know when that film's out. Mm, We'll pimp it on our end as well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be sometime in the middle of next year um, whenever I can be asked to get it finished basically <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's got a happy ending now that the crew are saved and uh, not doing too bad for All it. Right, and now they're the champions amazing they went from being a team that was going out of business saved by their own fans and now they're the champions of, of North America so amazing uh, there's hope for York City yet. oh no there isn't I think we'll leave it <laughs> hey you want to get you need to get the Wrexham group in the Wrexham owners in you know um, what's his face um Mr. Handsome, yeah. uh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rob McElhenney. Yeah. Yeah, I still can't, still can't wrap my head around that one. Uh, right, I suppose better tell people how to get in touch with us. Um, we are going to be doing a Total Shunt special sometime over Christmas. I need a few more to throw in because we're not having all these ones because I'm sure that if you send a who's a Total Shunt in, you want the dr- names of teams and drivers pronouncing properly. <laughs> <laughs> so drop us a line, three legs, four wheels at gmail.com and um, I'll be able to keep all the reserved ones there. If you want to send one to Lee, send him a DM on Twitter or Instagram at a Total Shunt. Um, you can get a hold of the show at Three Legs Four Wheels on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And individually, we all are at Sean Cowper, at Flood Twenty One, at Pablo One Hundred, and Sean, you are at Virtual Statman. That is cool. And also, don't forget get the, get this one in every week. We've got the extra Patreon show that we do for our subscribers every week. You can sign up to that for as little as one dollar, one pound, or one euro a month. Go to patreon.com slash three legs four wheels. You can sign up there. And if you listen to this week's, you will never listen to the 12 days of Christmas in the same light again. (laughs) (laughs) Especially not with the swans. Um, Thanks again, Sean, for joining us. It's been it's always great to have you on. And uh, I'm sure you'll be coming back on uh, sometime when we get the 2021 season up and running. I will. and, And when I do that, I will tell you the latest and greatest offers that we have at the Lemon Grove Walmart. (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore or are you still on commission <laughs> I need to speak to my people and find out <laughs> they're the same people that Danny Kvyat's got <laughs> no comment <laughs> thanks very much for listening we'll see you soon bye 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 bye